great. It's a, it's a real privilege to, to be with you. Um, and uh, in, in the, you know, the farthest northernmost reaches of the kingdom, uh, I feel like I've travelled on my trusty steed. Um, so I ride a motorbike and I came all the way up here on that. So it's great to be here. And it's just great just to be amongst you, to see Holy Spirit moving. Um, I, I must confess that when Malcolm brought that tongue, I just thought that's how he spoke. Um, <laughs> But uh, having spoken to him over coffee, I wasn't quite, I thought, oh, I didn't understand him then and I didn't understand him when he came forward. So, uh, so no, I'm joking. But I'm from London, you can probably tell from my accent. Um, I'm married to Hazel. Uh, she sends her apologies, unable to come with me at this time because I'm, I'm staying on and going through the week to various other things. So, and she has what she calls a proper job. Um, <laughs> And so she's unable to, to come. Uh, one time, it's great, you always get a different kind of introduction when you come to a new church. And Hayes and I were at a, a church we'd not been to before. And we were, we were introduced as a beautiful couple, which I, I really appreciated until I worked out that it was Hazel that made it beautiful. I just made it a couple. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that's how I felt. I thought, oh, that's nice, isn't it? But there we go. So it is a real privilege to, to kind of be with you. Um, my church that I'm part of, I'm on the eldership team at LifeSpring. Um, I recently handed over the lead of that church to uh, uh, Joss, who's a, a young guy that I've been kind of pulling through because I'm spending more, more 50% of my time now kind of serving other churches um, in the UK, uh, Romania. So we now have a church that has just joined Christ Central uh, from Romania, and they're hosting a lot of Ukrainian refugees in their building at the moment, so spending a lot of time with them, um, and then working alongside Joseph Mawila in Africa. So um, that's kind of me uh, and kind of what I'm doing, but um, it's just a privilege just to have some, some time just to, to share what God's put on my heart. Roger's just said, do whatever's on your heart to do. So, so are you ready? Yeah. Are you sure? Because you don't know what I'm going to say yet. You know, it might, not, it might not be what you want to hear, but we, we'll find out, okay? But uh, we're going to do a Bible study, so we're going to be looking at your Bible. So if you've got your Bible, uh, do open it. I'll give you a bit of a head start to Galatians 1. Um, but what I want to talk about this morning is what I consider to be actually the cultural slide to a different gospel. Um, and this is something I feel the Lord's put on my heart for, for the church uh, not just for this church, so uh, it's a message I'm kind of bringing as I go because I think it's a, a broader message. Um, and I think it's a real challenge for us right now as the people of God to be effective in our culture without actually being nullified by it. Um, and I've been rereading and rereading this uh, passage or through the book of, of, uh, of Galatians. And, and, you know, Paul was writing to the churches and, and he was, it's almost like if you read this, so when we read this chapter, it's almost like he's grabbing hold of the church and giving them a good shake. And he's saying, what are you doing? Wake up, smell the coffee, smell, understand what's going on around you. Um, and actually, that's what I've called my talk today. So if you're taking notes, it's called wake up and smell the coffee. Okay. Um, and uh, let me show you what I mean. Let's read together. We'll start Galatians 1, verses 1 through to 5. Um, if I can get my iPad to move on. There we go. So Paul, an apostle, not from men 
or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. It's a brilliant start, isn't it? Um, now, do you ever get sort of Christian messages that are a little bit like this? You've probably had emails from Roger that, that are like this. You know, they start all nice. How are you doing? Is the family well? Is everything okay? And then comes the hand grenade. Then comes the, could you just, would you mind? Could you stop? Could you start? It's often we, we as Christians, we love those kind of emails, don't we? We start it off, how's it all going? And then, then comes the bomb. And, and that's kind of what's happening here. There's, there's suddenly a bomb, a hand grenade that Paul drops as we read on into verse 6, um, which says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I now trying to please man? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ Jesus. You know, and um, you know, I've had that. People have said to me, oh, you're just trying to climb the, the ladder. You know, <laughs> trust me. Do you know I mean, I was very senior in a big multi-billion dollar company. If I was trying to cr- climb the corporate ladder, ladder, I wouldn't have become a pastor in a church. <laughs> you know, and Paul's saying, look, I'm not. I'm not trying to be anyone or do anyone. I'm just telling you the truth. And and it seems that what Paul's trying to say here is pretty urgent. You see, in all his other letters, usually when he's done the kind of nice hello bit, he kind of greets them and he, he praises them. He thanks God for them. He prays for them, but not here. He just gets right down to it. And the truth is he's totally astounded at how unstable their foundations have become, how immature their understanding, how fickle their doctrine, that they've been so easily blown off course by the first kind of wind of doctrine that comes on the next faddy wave of popular teaching. He, he accuses them actually of desertion. Now, when we think of desertion, I'm sure we kind of think about a soldier kind of sort of running away from the battle and just kind of getting himself out of harm's way. But, but the, the word that Paul is using here is much more like turncoat. It's that sense, someone who's changed sides. Now, do you remember in January when we had all the hoo-ha around Boris and the the parties and all of that and there was a Tory MP Christian Wakefield who left the Conservative Party and he joined the Labour Party do you remember that and the tabloids and the the media went nuts for it even in our culture they used the term defection they said he's defected from the Conservatives to Labour 
Well, this is actually what Paul is accusing the Christians in the Galatian churches of doing. He's not saying, hey guys, maybe you've kind of gone off piste a little bit. You might have understood something. No, he's, he's saying, you have defected from the theology and the message of grace by changing sides and turning to legalism. And more importantly, because being a Christian is, and a disciple of Jesus is relational, it's a relationship connection, isn't it, with God, Paul tells them that not only have they deserted the doctrine, but they've turned away from the one who called them in the grace of Christ by turning to this other, this other gospel. And he asked, but well, not that there is another gospel, but, but what, what is it he's saying? What, what, what gospel are they turning to? And Paul's seemingly nice introduction through those first one to five verses was so much more than a Christian hello. Okay, we can often read when we start these letters, well, that's him just saying hello. But no, it's so much more than a, a Christian hello. What it outlines is the gospel foundation that he laid when he planted the church. It was a gospel of grace and peace. Peace with God and salvation by grace alone through the finished work of Jesus. His, his opening greeting declares all of that. Our redemption through Jesus' death on the cross, the forgiveness of our sins, but also the rescue from this present evil age. And it was the present evil age that the, the or, or I suppose the cultural context, you know, that's a kind of Bible language, in the, like the present evil age. But he's just saying, your culture, the culture around you has distorted, albeit very, very slightly, the pure message of the gospel. The pervasive thinking of the day had, had, had not really been fully shaken off by the church, or if it had, it had crept back in again. And it's easy to look at this passage, you know, and others like it, and think of it in terms of, well, back then, they were a bit simple. 2,000 years ago, they weren't maybe that well educated. We can assume that it was just simpler times, Altogether, you know, they didn't have mortgages and interest rates and, and, and the IMF and all of that kind of stuff. We, it was much simpler. We, we're more evolved. We're much more sophisticated now. We're more intellectually aware. We're more advanced. We're more evolved. But are we? Have you come across a thing called the Darwin Awards? The Darwin Awards. In 2020, a woman who won... She fell out of a moving car into a live lane of the M25 because she was trying to film a video for her Snapchat. If we are evolving, I'm not sure it's in the right direction. And today, the, the church is, in my opinion, of, in real danger of embracing our own gospel distortions which allow our cultural moment to dilute the powerful truth of the gospel of Jesus. It's a real danger because we have evolved, maybe, or we consider ourselves more advanced, better educated, and more widely informed than the church in the New Testament. Now, whilst I'm sure as a church we would all agree that individual redemption 
is an essential foundation of discipleship, I wonder if, for some, the actual content of personal redemption has become or is in danger of becoming replaced with what I'd call more therapeutic content. Back in 2021, Roger will tell you, others of you may know if you came to my seminar at the Leaders Conference, that in 2021 I went through a very long season of of quite dark depression um, and anxiety. And I was a complete counselling kind of phobic, kind of not interested in counselling kind of guy. And then when I went through this, I was born again in the terms of being on side with counsellors and and the amazing kind of work they do. Um, And one thing I kind of was really excited to discover when, when, when doing that was in kind of secular psychotherapy, how much biblical content there was. I, was. I was really surprised. Not as surprised as my therapist when I kept telling them, oh, that's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. Um, but, but actually, when it starts working the other way around and the secular therapeutic principles begin to work their way into the framework of the gospel, we're in danger of embracing a different one. The secular therapeutic salvation really comes from more of a lifestyle solution rather than a redemptive encounter with the person of Jesus. A therapeutic gospel offers us the the promise that if you know yourself, then you can, through your exercise in your own self-expression, achieve your own personal heaven on earth by having a life filled with pleasure and meaning. That's what the therapeutic gospel offers. The, The gospel subtly changes the basis of original sin, or what theologians call the depravity of man, with the notion that we are basically innocent, happy and whole, and our inner child or inner self is fundamentally good. That's where the therapeutic gospel, that's the basis of it. And it tells you that this innocence and happiness and wholeness has been lost, not as a result of your own personal sinful choices, but through things such as families or bad experience or binding commitments, externally given identities, cultural, traditional, even, dare I say it, religious restrictions that make you unhappy, which results in your low self-esteem. That's, that's kind of where it, it, it starts. And salvation comes through escaping from these binding commitments and external identities So you can rediscover your inner self, which, as we've said, the basis is that it is fundamentally good. And so if you can find your inner self, then you can find that goodness, and that goodness will guide you. And the saviours of this gospel can look like a soulmate, or a meaningful career, or power, authority, enjoyable experiences, material things, being self-sufficient, financially independent having a comfortable life, a a nice house. And through you exercising, if you like, your self-expression and being true to yourself, you'll hear that a lot in the therapeutic gospel, being true to yourself, then you can achieve your own personal heaven on earth with a life filled with happiness, pleasure and meaning. That's the, the therapeutic gospel. Causes you to look within yourself to find your solution and your salvation. 
The premise is, is if you can understand yourself, then you can essentially save yourself. Now, whilst we may not take on that gospel hook, line and sinker, there are many aspects of it that I observe in the church and that I can see operating in, in people's lives. And it usually comes in the form of self-reliance. If there's a problem, I'm going to fix it. If there's a problem, I just need to dig deeper. If there's a problem, I just need to try harder. I just need to work at this or work at that. And this gospel outworks its way in self-reliance. Self Is anybody kind of feeling a whole load of Holy Spirit on that? Yes. You're thinking, oh, oh, that's me, I, I do that. If it is, why don't you just stand, because I'm already stood, so I'm okay. <laughs> but genuinely, if you're thinking, you know what, I, I, I know, as you've talked about that, self-reliance, and thank you, well done for being brave. Anybody else? Well done, Roger. As I say, I've discovered when I'm preaching, if there's a moment of grace... You know, I said before, you know, don't come up to me afterwards, I'll headbutt you. I won't. But what I've discovered is that actually in a moment of grace, you, you get something, that's what grace is, not earning anything. You, you get something for free that you're going to have to work for later. So don't, if you come back to me afterwards, I'll happily pray for you, but there'll be a little bit more effort involved. It's a grace moment right now. So Heavenly Father, for those that have stood, Lord, Father, we just, and me included, we just humble ourselves before you. And Lord, where we've embraced a, just a slightly different gospel where actually we rely on ourselves. We look to ourselves before we look to you. Lord God, forgive us. And Lord, would you cause us to lift our heads, keep our eyes fixed on you. And Father, I pray, God, would you stir us afresh for that wonderful gospel of grace that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's, it's, my, it's the gospel of grace and peace in my life and working through my life, not my own abilities. Lord, forgive us when we turn to ourselves. Help us look to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Okay. I love those moments. My favorite thing. So these, these departures from and distortions to this kind of true gospel message are often really subtle. But if you set off just a small degree off course, then after five or ten years or after a, 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 a pandemic, you suddenly find yourself miles away from where you wanted or thought you would be. And that's the devil's strategy. In all of this, another subtle gospel that I see in our kind of post-Christian culture today we live in is actually a desire for righteousness, justice, peace and joy. It promises communal happiness from the kind of eradication of things like human trafficking, racism and abuse. Where, where it sounds familiar, right? You get, Hold on, what do you mean a different gospel? Where tolerance is the saviour. 
And it's that that will allow us to coexist in a world without war or violence or murder or hatred, where the hungry are fed and the the homeless are housed, the marginalised are are given a voice, where everyone is free and equal and happy. And tolerance is the saviour that people believe it will give them. And it sounds familiar to us. As I read those words, you're thinking, I know this gospel. But the reality is, what they're offering is they're offering the gospel of the kingdom, but without a king. This gospel offers all of the things that we would expect to see in the kingdom of God, but devoid of a king. They want the kingdom, but they don't want the king. It's a a gospel of godliness, but without God. And Paul warns Timothy, doesn't he, about that, to avoid purveyors of other gospels, saying that actually people will be lovers of self, preferring to trust money, the, the stock markets, their pensions as their provider rather than God's. That they'll be pursuers of happiness and pleasure rather than pursuers of God. It's all there. And Paul's analysis of this gospel creeps into our thinking. And he says it actually starts with the the immature. Now notice that he doesn't say with the young. Because immaturity and age are not connected in any way, shape or form. He's saying that those that are not grounded in the word, in sound doctrine, they are the immature. And he says that people will always be, be learning and listening. Listening to this podcast or that YouTube sermon, uh, sermon, but never arriving at the truth. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, if that isn't a prophetic word for the communication age that we are in now, I don't know what is. And actually, we we all do it. And I felt God, when I was praying this morning, just kind of give me a word for, for someone, maybe. And it's that sense of actually, you listen to loads and loads of podcasts. On your way to work, you listen to podcasts, good podcasts. You know, you're watching this YouTube sermon. When you're, when you're cooking or when you're doing something, you're working on the car or whatever it is, you've you, you kind of got the podcast going. You've got the audible Bible kind of, you know, reading you the passage of Scripture. You've got all that going on. And I just, I just sense that for someone, Jesus is just saying, will you stop? I've got so much I want to show you in the Bible. If you just stop and open the Bible... I've got so much I want to show you. But you're too busy packing in those good Christian things into the gaps in your life that actually there isn't the space. I just want you to open the scriptures and speak to you. Is anybody going, I know that's me? Okay, do you want to stand? Because I'd love to pray for you. Well done for being brave. It's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just, he's desperate. He's desperate for time with you. And there's so much he's going to show you. If you just take a moment.
to, and I mean physically open your Bible. Not on your phone, not on your iPad, but just that God speak to me. And he's going he's gonna to reveal stuff to you that you couldn't imagine. Stuff that's going to refresh you. Stuff that's going to refresh your family, your small group and this church. Just come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for these people's wonderful honesty and bravery, humility. Lord, in just standing, and I pray, would you bless them? Would your hand be on them in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Bless you. Please take your seats. Well done. Well done. On January 29th, 2020, the first two people in the UK tested positive for COVID. Since then, nothing has been the same. Everything has changed, hasn't it? That day changed our lives, every one of our lives, for forever. And actually, nothing will ever be the same again. And through multiple lockdowns and over a year of isolation, being at home, a new gospel has arisen. A gospel of self-care. Church online has some amazing benefits and we've seen it with, with the sick people that are in uh, hospice or are in homes or uh, are just physically unable to come. It's a huge, wonderful, wonderful benefit to it. But actually, actually the downside is, is that actually it's produced hyper-consumerism. We're kind of church in person on a Sunday is treated as the same as a YouTube live stream. Where, well, I'll attend in person if it fits with my life, if it fits with my family, if it fits with my priorities, you know, if it's good for me. And if not, I'll just catch up at some point that is more convenient to me. You know, those serving on the day, if indeed there are any volunteers, are doing so actually to serve my preferences, this good man here operating that camera, there's that sense of, actually, he's doing that, so I, I can exercise my preference. He's serving my preference. So I can do it whenever I deem it's most convenient. I can watch it when it's been recorded, and you know, I, can, I can do that whenever I choose to another time. But this is a distortion of the gospel. Paul says to the Philippian church, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That is not the gospel of our culture. Worldwide, churches have not seen anything like the pre-pandemic attendance on Sundays. Where anecdotally, I would say, you know, most people pre-pandemic would come maybe three Sundays out of four. Now that's more like two out of four or less. The gospel of self-care has subtly distorted the message of the gospel that tells us specifically not to neglect meeting together. But instead, it, it entreats us to take time out. This is the, the gospel of the world. It says, no, take time out. Rest. Do what's good for you. Do what makes you the happiest. 
You know, almost every church I go to, every team is under-resourced because they've seen such a change in attitudes to serving since, since COVID. Fewer people are willing to be the servant of all. More people are wanting to be served than are willing to serve. In many churches that I visit, not this one obviously, but I mean all the others, not, not this one. You know, they have lots of people wanting to be in small groups, but not enough small groups to put them in because no one wants to lead them. No one is, seems to be willing to serve. And I have to say that, like Paul, I am astonished that we have drifted from being disciples of Jesus to merely being his followers. The gospel of self actually creates subscribers to Jesus' philosophies. Philosophies that we embrace, but we're just subscribing to the philosophy. It creates followers of his moral teaching, but not adherers to his ways. How is it that there are gaps in every team, in every church I go to? Obviously not this one. I, you know, when, when I go to my next church, I'll say every other church bar the one I went in Cockermouth. But, you know, there's that. What, why is that? How is it that Jesus came to serve and not be served, yet our actions suggest that we believe we are to be served and not to serve ourselves? How is it that there are those gaps. I've just come up from Saturday morning. I was at a New Day uh, kind of feedback meeting from New Day. We were 60% under-resourced. And thank you, the Dunlops, for coming and bailing us out. But it, what, just because of what's happened is COVID's happened. A gospel of self-care. And, and it's, it's what I call gospel drift. And so these myths of a secular gospel that's devoid of the presence or the power of God, a, a therapeutic gospel which seeks to find the good that leads us to happiness, or a gospel of self-care that focuses on my personal rest and recovery and comfort, they're all creating this drift from the gospel. Paul calls it a gospel distortion. And I believe that, that this cultural drift being caused by, by, by the cultural leanings of our society is leading many Christians to a gospel other than the gospel of salvation through grace, by faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. In my opinion, many churches, I think, are unknowingly embracing what has the appearance of the gospel of grace but actually denies its power which is why I love praying for the sick. In my opinion, we, we, we just, you know, other gospels that, that come in, Paul was addressing, you know, what Paul was addressing was slightly different to the problems that we face. He was looking at circumcision. You know, that was the, the, the outworking that the, the Galatian churches were, were struggling with. And on the face of it, it can appear kind of a minor, a minor thing. But actually, these minor things, when they are fully grown, become complete distortions of the truth. As I say in Galatians, to the Galatian churches, it was circumcision. But we look elsewhere, and I think, well, why is Paul getting so worked up? 
He didn't actually care that much about circumcision. You know, Timothy, he circumcised, but Titus, he didn't. So he wasn't, it wasn't circumcision, really, was the thing he was getting really kind of bent out of shape over. And it's very easy to think, well, <laughs> that's not a problem for us, you know. But actually, this was the thing that Paul was kind of focusing, not the actual thing, but, but the heart of the matter. And so he was, he was looking at that, and the reality was, as you read this whole letter, it wasn't this single act of circumcision. Clearly there were times when it was, it was beneficial. But the actual issue was the demand for an adherence to the law that was being added to salvation. It was Jesus' work on the cross plus the law. In this case, it was circumcision. It was Jesus plus my effort and plus my works. And Paul says that Jesus came because the law was incapable of saving us. <laughs> That's why he came. So, so now that he's come, why are we trying to add what couldn't save us to what could? It doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. And so salvation, we know, is in Jesus, in his finished work on the cross, by grace through faith, not by the law or our ability to keep it. This was the issue, that circumcision was the outworking of the issue. And so we need to remember that as we, as we kind of look through and, and as we kind of think, well, how does that apply to us? Because it was undermining the gospel of grace. It was undermining the true letter of, or the, the, the heart of what Paul was trying to say. And this is why he's getting so kind of worked up. Uh, and, it, and he really does. Because then he goes on to say, in Galatians 3, which you'll be familiar with, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it from a, a, a paraphrase commentary called The Passion. I, I refuse to use the other word. Which is great, don't get me wrong, it's brilliant, I love it. But it's not a translation of the Bible, Roger can explain it to you later. Okay. So this is what he says, What has happened to you Galatians to be acting so foolishly? You must have been under some evil spell. Didn't God open your eyes to see the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion? Wasn't he revealed to you as the crucified one? So answer me this, did the Holy Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping all the Jewish laws? No. You received him as a gift because you believed in Jesus. Your new life in the appointed one began with the Holy Spirit giving you a new birth. Why then would you so foolishly turn from living in the Spirit to trying to finish by your own works? That's what he got so worked up about. Circumcision was not in and of itself wrong. We saw that with Titus and Timothy. What matters is the heart or the, the cause of the matter. And the heart of the matter was that legalism looking to finish the work of grace. Therapy, as I've said, is not wrong in and of itself. I'm a big fan. But the heart of the matter is that if it says that you are your own saviour and if you can unravel yourself and know yourself, then you can save yourself is a false gospel. Wanting to see kind of world peace, joy, kindness, seeing an end to hunger and homelessness and abuse are not wrong. 
But the heart of the matter is that the pursuit of these things without the presence of God, the power of the Spirit, is a false gospel. Looking after yourself, taking time to rest and relax is not wrong. But the heart of the matter is, is when those things are given greater importance than the call of the gospel to meet or sacrificially serve one another and the body of Christ, that becomes a false gospel. Our culture wants the benefits of the kingdom without the king. They want the benefits of a benevolent God without the presence of God and they want to be served without ever having to serve. Now, I wonder if as you're listening to me, you're going, I totally agree. I'm totally on the same page with you, Andy. I totally get it. Let me ask you this. If I was to look at your life, what does it look like? Which gospel does your life most look like? If I was to look at your day-to-day practices, what would I see? Would I see the outcomes or the pursuit of the kingdom but no evidence of the king? Were I to scrutinise your daily practices, would I see self-reliance? Would I see your trust in your pension or your salary or your accumulation of them as being your provider? Is that what makes you feel safe and secure? Or would I see a hope in God and the passionate pursuit of his presence in daily prayer and worship and devotion to him that acknowledges him as your provider? Would I see a life of sacrificial service, a a life laid down to others, to the church, to Jesus? Do our personal lives, or indeed our corporate lives, reflect and exhibit a hunger for the presence of God? Do our actions and behaviours demonstrate a life in the spirit? Or have we subtly, like the Galatians, begun in the spirit and slowly found ourselves moving towards some of these other things. I guess I'm asking, have we subtly deserted the gospel of grace in preference of the subtleties of our pervading culture? And all I'm saying, church, is wake up. Smell the coffee. It's subtle. And Paul just tells the church in Ephesus, he says, stop. That's it. That's his advice. Stop. Stop walking in the way that the culture does, in the futility of your own understanding and personal ideas. Just stop it. Just stop it. Even in the Old Testament, we're told, aren't we, don't rely on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. That's, that's just kind of what the Bible teaches. But I just want us to consider... This, these other Gospels and realise actually there is something quite pervasive about them and church I believe that even if we were just a degree off we could find ourselves in years time just way, way off and suddenly embrace the Gospel that we didn't want but we've ended up with and so that's my Encouraging message. 
to you for today. But sometimes a warning, and I think this is a warning to the churches, is just as needed as me to come and go, whoop, whoop, whoop. You're doing great. And you are doing great. I've loved being here. It's been wonderful. But actually, let's make sure that we're staying in the spirit. We're not starting there and ending up somewhere else. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you guys? Would that be okay? Why don't we stand and I'll pray. Jesus, we thank you that it's you and you alone that is our saviour. We thank you, Jesus. You came and you made a way where there is no way. Lord, you came and made a way that the law could not provide for us. And you came and gave us your salvation free of charge, no strings attached. And Jesus, we don't want to start adding our own strings. We don't want to start, Lord God, adding our own conditions to that free gift of grace that you've given us. But equally, Father, we don't want to cut, Lord God, the ties, the things that you've called us to, the things that you've said... People will know you because you live like this, because you live in the Spirit. And Lord, we, we're not those who come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the kingdom's power, Holy Spirit's power. That's what we want. We want to be a people living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want all of those things that we've, we've talked about, Lord, but we, we, we don't want them and not the King. <laughs> oh, we want the King. We want the King before anything else. And if we get those things... We're so grateful. But Lord, let us keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, you said you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord God, we love the fact that you give life and life in all its fullness. We like that. But you're the truth. And Lord, we want to keep our hearts and our eyes fixed on your truth. You are the truth. And more than that, Lord God, this is the bit we don't always like people just putting it out there. You're the way. And his way is as important as his truth and as important as his life. The way Jesus said for us to do life, to do the gospel. Not our way, not the culture's way, but his way. And so, Father, ask us, give us strength, enable us, bless us and keep us. Cause your face to shine upon us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.